This week, we travel to India to sit down with one of cricket's biggest stars, Virat Kohli. Cricket is one sport that everyone has played at some stage in their life in India. The Indian national team captain and one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people on those who helped him rise to elite status. He's still my mentor. He's always been a, a guiding influence in my life and I'll always be very grateful to him. The devastating experience that shook him to his core. There was no emotion coming out of me and I was I just became blank. I couldn't I couldn't register what just happened. And how he turned that into motivation. I remember telling my brother, I am going to play for my country and I am going to play this game at the highest level and there's nothing else in life that can distract me anymore. Plus, his marriage to superstar Bollywood actress Anushka Sharma, juggling a signature clothing line, and building a lifestyle brand. All that's coming up next, right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. All right, so I wanted to start actually by taking you back to when you were a young kid growing up. How would you describe what life was like growing up? Life was... um Pretty simple, actually. We grew up in a housing society and um, people were always together, always, you know, uh, friends spending time with each other. Just being kids, really, you know, just, just, just having fun in life and just enjoying life every day. And yeah, it was a beautiful time. How would you describe the rented house that you grew up in? I think it was <clears throat> around when I was 13 or maybe 14 years old when we started staying on rent. And I remember that because um, my my brother wanted to set up a business and you know we had to sort of get the finances going and we didn't have anything so we had to get rid of our house and you know put in money into the business and stay on rent from there and then the business boomed and then it collapsed and you know the situation became really difficult so yeah those those early years of me getting to play for the the state team which is the Delhi team um, in age group cricket so we have what do you call under 15 level, then the under 17s, then the under 19s. So all that time we were staying on a rented place. And I, it's actually a very tricky time to uh, remember because you're not really sure whether you're going to make it professionally or not. You Suddenly you realize the, the competition that's around you and uh, you have to outperform everyone. And then there's so many other factors when you're growing up and you're wanting to play eventually for your country. So, yeah, that was a tough time. I mean, we, we didn't have the resources that we would have expected to as a family. And What led to the business collapsing? It was a, a combination of a lot of things. You know, a few people who, who we trusted sort of uh, breaking your trust. That's the reason why most things fail, because you trust people and then uh, they betray you of sorts. And then the recovery was very difficult because you take a lot of effort and time to set up something and then it collapses and then you don't have the resources to re-establish uh, anything again. Um, so yeah, I remember that that time being very um, volatile. Uh, it was something that all of us felt was very tough uh, to be able to find resources. I, w- I wanted to ask you uh, about your parents. Um, and uh, there's a funny moment involving your dad as well. But what do you think you learned from your folks? What I learned from my dad was, as you can understand, in junior level cricket and coming up in any institution, you have a lot of, um, you know, things happening around selection and people being favored and doing the wrong things. And, you know, it's a lot of manipulation happens in terms of um, 
the important people getting their way and stuff like that. So we faced that as well. And there were many instances when I was growing up when literally my father was told that, you know, if, if you want your, your child selected or something like that, you'll have to do a few things to get him there. Meaning um, what? Meaning, you know, doing a few favors for people or just entertaining people for the sake of it and stuff like that. And he was a self-made man and he thought, no, this is not the right thing to do. Um, I'm not going to entertain someone just so that my son can play state cricket. If he is good enough, he's going to make it on his ability. And if not, so be it. So what that taught me was to just believe in yourself, believe in your performances, and that's the only thing that will always speak for you. Um, so those were the most uh, important teachings for me growing up, to see the right thing happening in front of my eyes. And purely because we didn't also have the resources to do anything which was you know, outrageous or extravagant, that taught you the values of life. You're 12 years old. Tell about when your father accidentally abandons you <laughs> when you're kite shopping on Independence Day. So my father was, uh, as I said, self-made man. And he was very particular about rules and regulations. And for some reason, I forgot to get my um, the helmet to sit at the back of the, the scooter that we used to have. So he had his, his helmet on and it was a Sunday and I actually halfway he realized that I don't have the helmet on and I told him it's fine, it's a Sunday, no one's going to be there on the streets, no one's going to catch us and you know I was just being stupid, I was just being excited to just get out of the house and get those kites because that's a big festival in North India, the Independence Day is celebrated by flying kites and you know that's, that sort of thing so it's huge and I was so excited to just get my stuff and he took me there. So on the way back, we saw um, a shop where people were selling fruits and I love watermelons. So I told him I want a watermelon. And they were big, like nice green watermelons there. And the guy cut it, we tasted it, everything. Okay, this is the one we're getting. And by the time I came out, I had the, the bag and there used to be a hook in front of the scooter. So I went to put the watermelon on the hook and I don't know what happened by that time, a couple of uh, traffic police guys were walking towards us. And they were randomly just walking on the street, right? They didn't even notice that I have a helmet or the, the scooter was parked. And for some reason, he panicked. He thought they're coming to catch us and he thought I'm on the scooter already. <laughs> and before I could get on the back, he just rode off. And I'm standing there on the road, looking at him just going away. And I'm thinking, I'm shouting and the helmet used to have, you know, used to cover your ears back then. So he couldn't hear me. And because of the sound of scooter as well, he just went off and he didn't come back for 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and then I took another mode of transport to go back home. We call that those things rickshaws here, like a, a cycle kind of a thing. And then I'm sitting on one of those. So apparently he went back home and he asked my mother where I am. And she's like, what do you mean where I am? He, you know, you took him with you. You should know where he is. So then he came back looking for me and I was on this thing going back and he's shouting from across the road, shouting my name and I just turned my head, I didn't want to speak to him. I kept ignoring, I was like, how the hell can you do that to me? How can you leave me on the road? So yeah, that was a pretty funny moment and I gave him a lot of flack after that. And you had talked to him for like a couple of days after that, right? I didn't speak to him. I couldn't believe me, he left me on the street and went back home. He actually reached home. I could not believe it. I was like, okay, fine, you, sh you should remember that your child's not sitting behind you. He just went home. 
So yeah, I didn't speak to him for two days. So science and math, I understand, were your favorite subjects in school. <laughs> Who no. told you math was my <laughs> no. favorite subject? Were you not, not good no at? way. <laughs> not, why not? So in math, we used to have exams, and uh -huh. the maximum marks you could get in an exam was 100, mm -hmm. right? I used to get three. I was that good. I did not understand why someone would even want to learn math. I mean, I could not understand the complications behind it. I mean, why do things have to be so, so difficult? And I haven't used any of those formulas in my life till now. Cos, theta, synth. I, I was like, what the hell is going on? Why would these things come together and produce this? How is it possible? I understood sport. I could never relate to math. It was like, I just wanted to get through my um, 10th grade exams because they used to happen at a, at a state level. And then after that, you can choose whether you want to continue with math or not. I've, I'm telling you, I've never worked hard, even in cricket. The, the amount I worked hard to pass that, that exam so I can get really? rid of that subject. I promise you, I passed it and then I was like, I'm never looking at math again. How often would you have to miss school because you were at cricket tournaments? Quite often, um, especially the higher grades. I think when I was younger, I didn't have so much uh, cricket going on. But when uh, I started playing for the under-19 Indian team, we started traveling abroad. So five to six months of the year, I couldn't study at all. And then, as I said, with whatever learning power or the focus you had, you, you study for two, three months, and then you did well in exams. I wouldn't say I was uh, the most intelligent guys around, but I was, I was smart enough to pick up things, and that would get me through grades, uh, different classes, so yeah. But the, the higher grades were much more difficult. How lucky was the timing of the national uh, selector's arrival? Oh, that probably is the most crucial moment of my life, to be honest. How so? <clears throat> So, I don't know if you've heard about um, the IPL, the Indian Premier League, which is our, the, the most famous um, cricket tournament in the world right now. Um, so, I, we won the Under-19 Cricket World Cup in Malaysia in 2008, and I got picked in the IPL, which was the most fascinating sort of global viewership tournament in the world, and everyone's watching that, and I got an opportunity to play, and I thought, man, this is my chance, and I messed it up so bad. I was so bad in that first season of the IPL, and I thought, this is it, my life's done. I'm going back into the circuit, and I have to do everything all over again. Then, luckily, I got picked for the second 11. As I told you, the India A-team is what, what we call it. And we were touring Australia, and I was having a horrible series. Even there, I couldn't score any runs, and um, so, after a few games, another guy wasn't scoring runs and the captain of the team said, why don't you give another chance to this guy? He's, been, he's good, he's sitting outside, we know he hasn't done well, just give him one chance and see. So the coach asked me to play at a position I'd never played in my life, which was opening the innings, like you walk out to bat first. So I said, I'll do it. I said, I just want to play. I was sick of sitting out and I was like, I'm going to do it, I, ju I just want to play. So that game, we heard the chief selector of India, who selects the senior team, is going to be here. And we bowled first, so he didn't watch me bat. Um, and he wasn't present, actually. So um, when he came in, 
was the time I was walking out to bat. And I was so lucky. I was like, if we had batted first, you would never have seen. So what I believe in is even now when I see someone play, if you look at someone play, as opposed to hearing about someone, it's a totally different ball game. You can hear about people who do the same thing as anyone else, but you see someone else doing it in a way where you feel like, man, this guy is made for that level. So I was walking out to bat and I scored a century. I got 120 runs. I didn't get out. I walked out and he saw me bat. And he told the selectors, this guy will go on tour, the next Indian tour after having the worst time of my life. And I was like, man, my whole life changed there. He selected me and I got a chance to play as well for the national team and I was like, I felt so lucky that he could watch me play and that impact was something that led him to selecting me. The West Delhi Cricket Academy, how would you best explain what that place is? That place for me is everything. That place for me, um, it taught me what I know today. It taught me the importance of discipline. It taught me the importance of companionship. Uh, playing as a team. So whatever I learned in my life in terms of sport and that helped me in life as well came from um, that academy. How did you first meet Raj Kumar, the coach? So again, I mean, I told my father, okay, I remember walking in the first day and I was so excited. I got new clothes to wear, new kit and everything and I just walked in and because I used to play with people who were elder than me in my housing society, I walked in and I saw all these small kids practicing at one end. And then in the big guys, I saw a guy who was short. So I started running towards that group. So the coach is like, what are you doing? And I was like, that guy is just a little taller than me. So I'm going there. I want to train with those guys. I know, but you are of this age group. I said, but these guys are too small. I can't train with them. <laughs> so then he was like, no, 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 you, you need to train with them and then I think in a couple of months, I was playing with the senior guys already. Why do you think he allowed you to so soon? Because th that's not normal. Yeah, he didn't allow me on day one mm -hmm. because that's, that's the rule of the academy. You can't right. just walk in and just go wherever you want. Right. But after a couple of months, he understood that I was, I was um, ready to play with the seniors already. And I was just not enjoying um, the competition that, no offense, but that age group brought because I was already playing with the senior guys. So. I was ready to be more competitive and play against the big guys already. It actually kept making me stronger and stronger. And I, I used to come back thinking that I'm going to prove to these guys that they, they are doing the wrong thing with me, you know, in a fun way. But I used to be more motivated to perform. How would you explain the role that Raj Kumar plays in your life now? He's still, he's still my mentor. He's still a person that I speak to after every tour, before every tour. and. He's always been a, a guiding influence in my life um, and I'll always be very grateful to him because uh, he's taught me everything I know. He pushed me in the right direction. He understood when to elevate me to the next level. Um, as I just mentioned, pushing me into the seniors, um, all those kind of things. So he understood my, my journey and my graph the best, um, you know, better than anyone else could have because I spent so much time at the academy and with him as well. What about him do you fear? What about him do I fear? Not many things now, but when I was younger, he would, he would pull me up and I was smacked a few times as well. And I used to fear that. I used to, I used to know that you know, if I messed up, he's going to pull me up in front of everyone because he was a big believer of if you want to excel in sport, you can't have an ego. 
and he would smack me in front of everyone. He made sure that the teammates saw that if I did something wrong. And same with anyone else. How would that make you feel? That would make me feel angry because I felt like I was being embarrassed in front of people, but then now I understand the importance of it. Which was what? Which was if you if you don't if you're not honest in front of your teammates, you can never be a team man. So if you're not if you're not exposed in front of your teammates, if you don't have the courage to say I messed up, and if someone else pulls you up for it, um, you feel angry because you didn't want to admit your mistake in front of people because that makes you feel inferior in some way. And you know when you're growing up, you have a lot of ego. You want to feel superior and you want to feel like you know you're the man. And so when your ego is broken you feel hurt but then after a while you realize all you need to do is play for the team and that's it describe the importance of cricket in india mm. the importance of cricket in india is huge it's not there's a reason why they say it's not a sport it's a religion in india because one the kind of emotion it brings out cricket is one sport that everyone has played at some stage in their life in india and that is why it's so special in people's hearts and minds and the kind of connect or the kind of ownership or the kind of you know frustration and emotion they feel with the players and with the team it's a very organic thing it's not made up and i understand that because growing up and i used to watch games i used to be involved in a way that nothing else would involve me and i never understood why because i never played at that level but still i would feel like i could have done this and you know, people actually feel like because they've played at some level, you know, the guy shouldn't have done this, he should have done that. But that comes from a very pure source. 90% of cricket fans are apparently in the Indian uh, subcontinent. Um, I understand Bollywood will not release a movie during the seven-week IPL season. To what extent do you think the IPL in India is similar to the NFL in America in terms of passion? It's huge. The IPL has become... Um, that one tournament where for two months you, people just look forward to it being eight in the evening and they just sit together and watch. It's We as, you know, playing for one franchise, we watch other franchise play and we get so excited watching the games and we get fascinated by it and I can imagine people who are not even involved in the tournament, what entertainment it brings for them. So. I think the potential is endless. I believe that IPL is just a platform for you to express your skills and to get better at what you're doing because it's so highly competitive. But I think the intention should always be to want to play for your country. How would you best explain cricket to an American audience that's generally unfamiliar with the sport? <laughs> it's, uh, <clears throat> I've heard a few American people have come to IPL and they've sat down the whole uh, length of the game and tried to understand the, the game fully and still they'll leave a bit confused. So I think it's it's basically if you look at if you understand the basic um, essentials of the sport and just watch it for the entertainment of it you'll be you'll be very entertained and you'll be fine. But if you go into the finer details, as I said, you can really confuse yourself because there are a lot of terms that you know you you wouldn't have heard of or you wouldn't understand what they are. Even when we watch baseball, the only thing I'm worried about is a home run. And you know, just looking at people going mad. So, it's basically if you if you just relate to the the fun part of it, you can really enjoy watching the sport. Americans would probably be surprised to hear is that you, as I mentioned earlier, you were once at bat for eight plus hours. I'm thinking like December 2016, England. Yeah. Tell about how that happens. Um, 
it happens um, in a very uh, different way. You have a lunch break, which is 40 minutes between play, and then you come back and play again. And then you have a tea break, which is 20 minutes between play. Why they call it test cricket is because it tests you physically and mentally over five days. It's not, it's not a thing that starts at one time, ends at one time, and you get done with it and move on. This is a game that lasts five days. Yes, it does. So the thing, the beautiful thing about that is, and people find it so bizarre that how can one game, uh, one match in a sport go on for five days? The basic concept behind it is, test cricket for me is very similar to life. So if things don't go your way on day one, you have to go to sleep, you have to wake up and come back. There's no option of forgetting about it, there's no option of leaving it behind, there's no option of I don't want to do this anymore because if you don't turn up, you're left with 10 men and you're out of the team. So you have no option but to keep coming. Why do you feel the commercialization of the game is hurting cricket? I think the more you commercialize the sport, um, the quality of the, the game will come down. That's what I strongly believe in. If you look at the number of games that we play now compared to 10 years back, it's a huge change. You could never imagine cricketers playing so many games throughout the year. And what happens is the quality will invariably go down. I've heard people say that, you know, there's too much cricket to watch sometimes and we just don't want to watch it. So it affects a lot of things. and if. So if you have a tournament like a World Cup, which is a global tournament, and everyone's watching it, that brings interest. So I think the more impactful tournaments we have, um, and if the number of games on a regular basis come down, and the more global tournaments where all teams are playing against each other, they increase, I think that's going to sustain the sport really well, not the number of games. In what ways would you say you're an aggressive batsman? Well, I, I've always liked to take control of the situation. Uh, I've always been a, a, a kind of a player who would walk into a situation and, and turn the situation towards in the favor of my team. Um, and that's why I think I'm, I'm an aggressive batsman because a lot of people, they would go in and they would be wary of the situation, whether they want to attack or not. My game is totally counter-attack. My game is, if, if I look at you know spaces in the field, I think of the fact that I can score runs here and I don't feel like I might get out. So you have two ways of, of approaching your skill. Either you give in to the opposition's plans and their mind games, or you believe in yourself and say, everyone's looking at this as a pressure situation, but I look at it as an opportunity. So I go in with that mindset and eight out of 10 times, it, it happens in a way that I'm able to counter it. And explain the role that angles play. Angles play a huge role um, in terms of batsmanship as well. Sometimes you have to... So basically what we, what we have in cricket is um, we have the batting crease, which is a line, which traditionally you stand either side of the line, and that's the normal setup of a batsman. But sometimes when... So if you play in England, the ball swings, it moves around. You know, when the bowler bowls the ball, so in baseball, you don't have the ball moving around so much. But in cricket, you have a lot of variation with the ball where the ball has a seam stitch to it. So when it pitches on the surface, it can go either way. Mm -hmm. It swings in the air because of the conditions, because of the shine on the ball. So there's so many variables that you need to counter. And batting is about a split second of a decision. If I make the wrong decision, I sit outside and I clap all day. So the precision of that split second has to be so good. And you have to keep countering it and keep 
being in the right mindset every ball of the game, every second of the game. It's tiring at the end of the day as well mentally. But to counter those kind of things, if you stand in your normal sort of traditional position, you have more chances of getting out. So sometimes you cut angles in a way that you stand in a different place to make the bowler do something different. So those are the things that work really well in your favor in cricket. How does visualization help with that? It is everything for me. How so? It is everything. So I have literally prepared um, for, so if, if you're going to play um, an overseas tour, say to Australia or England or something like that, I literally sat down two, three months before and I've made a decision in my head that I'm going to take their best bowler on. And when I train in the gym, when I'm practicing, regularly there are visuals running in my head, me dominating that bowler. When I train, I have music on, I'm putting myself in a situation where that guy is bringing the heat onto me and I'm countering that and you know, that becomes such a reality in your head and invariably when I went into that situation, I ended up dominating that guy in their own home conditions. Uh, your first year in the IPL, you're playing with some of the best players in the world. Uh, your coach Raj Kumar said that your shortcoming was overconfidence. How so? It was. I, I lost my way. I drifted quite a bit and um, eventually I had the worst season I could have and I had discipline issues and I, I actually lost my way pretty badly. You know, I just saw this whole frenzy and this attention on me and suddenly playing with the biggest stars in the world and they make you feel welcome, they make you feel friendly and you feel like I'm the man, you know, I'm, I'm everything and I, I can do anything I want. So. Yeah, I did lose my way and again, he pulled me up, he called me, he's like, you need to get your act right and... Is I that what he said specifically? Yeah, he said, I've heard things and you need to be careful, you need to stay away from all this stuff that's been happening. And, and what was the stuff? Just being distracted, just partying, just not that focused, not focusing on my training, my diet, nothing. I just, my graphs just kept going down and I didn't realize it, I was like, I got so carried away just wanting to be around these people and doing, you know, anything just to be socially accepted and, you know, just to be part of groups and wanting to hang out with cool people and stuff like that. And then after that, I realized that I was heading into a totally wrong direction. In what ways do you think you struggled at times handling hecklers? Well, I've had many instances where I lost my cool with people who would, um, sort of poke me or um, urge me to, you know, lose my temper. Like what, I, what would get to you the most? I think the stuff that would get to me the most was bad sledging. Like if someone, so sledging, I don't know if you know about sledging. Sledging is basically when you're playing on the field and, and people say nasty things to you just so you can get out and make you lose your focus. So when those kind of nasty things happen, I just lost my cool completely. And people would get personal as well. A lot of the time, they would get personal. And these are other players? Or other players spectators? from other countries. Okay. And I would like totally what would they not, say? They would say stuff which was, oh, this is the last time he's going to ever play for his country. And, you know, this is it. And you're never going to see his face again. And those kind of nasty things. And he felt like, yes, you want to get someone out, but you can't, you can't snatch someone's life away from them by saying stuff like that. You know, it's if a young guy comes in and he actually believes in it, you could destroy his whole life. I can understand people lose their temper and, you know, 
um, they fight against each other, they swear at each other, but you don't wish that someone never comes back to play the sport that they've loved playing since they were kids. So those kind of things would rile me up and then the crowd plays a big role as well. The crowd riled me up as well a few times. And one time I flicked a finger, <laughs> I flicked the middle finger at the crowd as well. And it was so funny in Australia. I had had enough of the, the, the crowd coming at me every time. And you know, I would, I would hear stuff which was so nasty and I was like, man, this is so bad. And I, I never thought this is gonna be the case, playing cricket at the highest level. So I flicked the middle finger and then Next day I come in, the match referee, the guy who's in charge of the code of conduct. He gave you a pass. He called me into the office and he said, so what happened yesterday? And I said, nothing. What <laughs> happened? He said, what happened at the boundary line yesterday? I said, nothing happened. It was all good. The crowd was saying some things and I just went on with it. I didn't say anything. And then boom, he drops this newspaper in front of me. I have a, a 14, 15 inch long picture of myself in, on the front page of an Australian newspaper with my middle finger right up there and it was in your blood. And immediately I said, I said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I immediately accepted as I'm so sorry. Please don't ban me. I will never do this again. So he took half of my match fees away and then he warned me and then he was like, you should be careful, you're young, you don't want to spoil your career. And, but I kept learning with my mistakes. Why did an Australian newspaper call you the Donald Trump of world sport? <laughs> yeah, a lot of nasty things happened um, back in the day. I think both, both sides were quite naive. I was quite naive to, to lose my temper, you know, they were quite um, naive to form a judgment so quickly and um, we always think that our side of the story is right. So that's exactly what happened in that situation. They really took it to the next level and I was like, well, it is what it is and I've called it upon myself. Why'd your mom give you a locket and gold chain to help with your temper? Well, it's something, um, it's a sea pearl stone, which is supposed to be calming and people in India believe in a lot of, wearing a lot of stones and you know, it has a scientific meaning to it as well because of the the uh, the elements of the stone and the magnetic field around us and how it Im impacts you know certain characteristics in us as well. So she gave me one saying, "This is going to help you with your temper." I don't know to what extent it helped me, to be honest. But yeah, the effort was certainly there. But I kept losing my temper. What, why do you think you've since had so much success in calming yourself down? Well, again, you learn. After a while, you feel like. You, you really don't have any competition. It's just all made up in your own head. And, and at the end of the day, you're just competing with yourself. So my, my main focus now is to not disappoint myself first as a person and then impact the people immediately who are connected to me immediately, you know. So they see if I have a downfall and things will become negative around me. So I've become more aware of my, my mistakes. I've become more aware of if I mess up at any time, um, I need to be the first one to correct it rather than, you know, someone having to come and say, you're going down the wrong, wrong direction. So I think acceptance and awareness has certainly changed my life. Your dad's death. Uh, explain the situation that led to him unexpectedly passing. The situation was, um, so he used to do um, online share trading. And that was something that became uh, quite a big thing back then when in 2006 um, when he started doing it um, and then as I said the business side of things wasn't doing well for my brother the house was on rent and then his online share trading account suddenly 
crashed. So one transaction went really bad and all the transactions that he'd done before that and whatever he had accumulated sort of went down in a go. So he really like, he, the amount of stress it brought onto him mentally was huge. So he had a stroke, um, he had a clot uh, form in his brain. Um, I, I didn't know it because I was playing my first season and I was at practice and I was, I was coming back from practice and I reached the house and then my cousin's sister was there and I asked her where everyone is and she's like, no, this is gone for a regular checkup. I was like, why would everyone in the house go for a regular checkup? This doesn't seem right. Why is she the only one sitting at home? So I asked her where they are. She told me they're at this place and, and I was like, take me there. So we went there um, and then I saw him and then I saw him you know, in a in a situation that I'd never seen him before, and what 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 was the situation? He, I mean, because it was a it was a stroke in the brain, he wasn't able to react in the normal manner. You know, his body was moving in a, a funny way, and he was not able to figure out where he is. Like the way he looked at people as well, it was like he lost total sense of what's going on. So I saw him like that, and then they took him to the operation uh, theater, and then um, it was a very difficult time because they did the operation, then he came back home and then he was in rehab, but I saw him, left side of his body got paralyzed, uh, left side vision also got compromised and he was just not able to communicate that well, even with the family members anymore and you know couldn't do anything by himself. People had to pick him up and take him to the toilet and that, there he was, a self-made man, you know, he would just, in the house if something went wrong, he wouldn't call anyone, he would just open the, the socket, the the electric socket and just start fixing things himself so he was he was that self-made and he wasn't dependent on anyone so for a person like that to go through that he couldn't handle off, handle it after a while and then eventually after a couple of weeks of rehab he got a cardiac arrest and you were there I was batting night. actually I was playing a game and we were playing one of these um, <clears throat> four-day games which used to happen at the first class level and I was I was supposed to continue, resume batting the next day. And this happened around 2.30 or 3 in the morning. And we all woke up and we had no idea what to do. And he was gone by the time we woke up. And I literally, like, I literally saw him take his last breath in front of me. And um, I tried to pump his chest and all that, nothing worked. And then um, there were a few doctors around in that, in that area that we lived in. We went to their place. No one opened the door because it was three in the morning. We couldn't get any response. And then we drove him to the hospital. Um, but by the time they tried electric shocks and everything, all those kind of things, but nothing worked. He couldn't recover at all. So my, my sister and my brother and my mother, they were all, they all broke down. And funnily enough, I couldn't cry at all. There was no emotion coming out of me. And I, was, I just became blank. I couldn't, I couldn't register what just happened. Well, why do you think that was? I have no idea. Till date, I can't understand. And I was... I was feeling like I was myself thinking, why am I, am I not able to cry? And then I think it was all building up inside me. So when we came back um, and everyone, all the relatives came in to sort of, you know, uh, pay their condolences and stuff like that. And then I called my coach in the morning and I asked him or I told him what had happened. And then he asked me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go and play. So he said, are you sure? And I was like, because you had a game that day. Yeah. And for me, leaving a cricket match was something which was not acceptable, regardless of what happened in life. Um, not going to a match was not an option I ever had, or I couldn't register that option in my mind. So I said, I'm going to go. Um, and he said, OK, if that's your decision, go ahead. Um, so I left the house. 
I hadn't cried at all, nothing, no emotion. And my family was actually feeling a bit nervous looking at me because I was showing no emotion and everyone was like, you know, crying and they were emotional. And then I went to the game and I picked up a friend of mine again and I told him what had happened. He thought I was joking, he didn't believe me. We kept going, we, we reached the stadium and when we reached the stadium and I sat in the change room and he told everyone what had happened. So when everyone came around me to tell me we're sorry for you and that's the time I really broke down and you know, that's the time all that emotion came out and I don't know really? why. The strangest part of the whole story to me was that night when you called your coach back uh, and you were upset. He was surprised that you weren't upset what, about what he would have thought it was about. You were upset about your performance in the game. I was upset because I was, um, the umpire in the game made a wrong decision and he gave me out when I wasn't out. And I was upset because I couldn't be there till the end to make my team win the game. And I was really upset about that. Um, so yeah, in the evening he was surprised to know that I was actually talking about that. Especially now, many years removed from having gone through that, how do you think your father's passing affected you? Now I feel like it was probably the most impactful thing that happened in my life. Because I remember that day, I came back from the game. Um, after I got out, I came back to do the cremation and all the rituals that follow. And I remember telling my brother specifically that I am, I am going to play for my country and I am going to play this game at the highest level and there's nothing else in life that can distract me anymore. Because it was my father's uh, vision as well. He wanted me to you know, play at the highest level and he was really, really keen on me playing uh, at the highest level as well. So I remember making that promise to my brother and then everything in life became um, second priority after that incident and cricket was the first priority. Yet it wasn't uh, immediate that the success came at, no. after that, right? I, I mean, you kind of for a couple of your period of time started struggling. Um, in what ways did you begin to get careless off the field? So the thing is that the incident happens in your life and then you move on with it. You don't know the kind of motivation it, it registers in your heart. I always knew that nothing else can distract me from achieving my goal. But the immediate distractions were too many. Um, traveling like to other countries, going out you know, regularly, uh, having drinks with friends and just not being that focused. But the one thing that remained constant was every time I was down, every time I was, I hit rock bottom, somehow I was able to put everything aside and say, right, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to get back up. So it's not like I, I made a promise that I'm never going to fall down. Obviously, I was going to fall down. That's life. That is always going to happen in sport and life. But the ability to come back again and again made me realize that that incident was the one incident that helped me become mentally so strong um, that I could, even if I was distracted because I'm human, I will make mistakes. But the ability to come back up became so much more stronger. And right now I feel so grateful that I could get that strength from such a bad time in my life as well. And I'm gonna ask about coming back from that, but how, how bad did the eating and training get during that period? Oh, I remember, um, I was not disciplined at all in terms of my eating and my fitness. I mean, I can't even relate to that guy anymore that I was in those years, you know. 
You um, look like a different person. I yeah. Mean, you see pictures. Of, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I myself feel like it's some other guy. Um, so I had played IPL from 2008, 9, 10, 11, and then 12. IPL 12 was, I, I, I was playing for India. I was playing for the national team at the highest level, but I hadn't got the success, you know, that some of the established players did. And IPL 2012, again, had a really, really bad IPL season and my eating habits were horrible in that season. Um, very, very bad. And I remember coming back home and I came out of the shower. The team didn't do well. I came out of the shower. I looked, my, looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, that's the time it hit me, you know. And, and luckily, everything that's, that's been bad in me, somehow I get that calling myself that you need to get it right. Like, there's hardly anyone coming and telling me, you know, you're really messing up. It just comes from within. And then I saw myself in the mirror and I was like, you can't look like that if you're an international cricketer. What yes. did you see when you looked in the mirror? I was like out of shape and how, and I was, I was like looking just, just not like a sports person, you know? I was like, how the hell are you going to continue like this if you don't take care of yourself? Boom, from next day onwards, I just changed everything about my diet. Hitting the gym two hours a day, just taking a day off in a week, um, eating proper lean food. I got away from um, all kinds of, uh, you know, junk. I did not have a cheat day at all. And within eight to ten months, I, I lost about six or seven kgs. And then from then on, it became such an addiction because I saw the results on the field. I felt quicker, I felt lighter, felt more focused. And then I was like, man, this is the path I want to walk. Um, so yeah, I just changed my whole diet overnight and I'm so glad that I did. It's the best decision I ever made. Like, how, how did it uh, change you? So, in the World Cup just now that we played, every game my energy was 120%. And my recovery was so fast, I could, like, we traveled the next day after every game, after a full hectic game, my average uh, distance covered in a game was 15 kilometers. and. I would just come back, do my recovery treatments, travel the next day to another place. And as soon as we reached there, I was ready to train again. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I have so much energy. I can do gym sessions in between. I can do 10 games in such a short span of time with each game at high intensity. And I never experienced anything like that before. I had no stiffness in my body. I had no niggles. I had no problems in recovering, no stomach issues, nothing at all. And I was off dairy as well, um, you know, raw dairy um, and meat. And I was like, this is unbelievable. I could never imagine that changing my diet would help me in such a massive way. You mentioned the World Cup, uh, your reaction to, the, to India's semi-final exit. Well, the reaction was obviously of heartbreak. It was, it's very difficult to process something like that immediately. It's only now that we've started to sort of get over it, get past it. But every morning we woke up thinking, you know, you got that feeling of the team bus is going to leave now to play the finals. We should be heading to uh, London to the next team hotel and start our practice. Every morning we woke up, all of us, and I would ask my teammates as well, are you feeling the same way? And they'd be like, exactly that way. You know, you feel like it's, you don't even register that it's done. Because it happens so suddenly, and you've been involved in something for a month and a half, and it just takes a bit of time to get over. What about now? It's fine now because the World Cup's over as well. Mm -hmm. But those few days till the finals was very, very difficult to accept. 
very very difficult to process because you know the the tournament's still going on and you're not in it. Um, that's a very different different feeling. How exciting is the fact that India is going to be hosting the next World Cup? Oh, it's amazing. I've experienced one before. We won it in 2012 or 2011, and. Um, it was the most amazing, although I was the youngest member of the team, but I saw the, the whole frenzy around the competition and every airport we went, every time we were checking into a flight, security, everyone just said, you have to get the cup. There is no other option. You have to get the cup. And I saw all these senior players, you know, just being calm about it. And I was the youngest. No one would tell me anything because I was just there in the team, uh, you know, after everyone else. But all these senior players, I saw the pressure on them and then I felt like, wow. This is a whole different ball game. So, yeah, India is going to be very different, yes. Sachin Tendulkar, um, how would you explain how much you idolized him growing up? Well, I used to, uh, it's funny, when I got to play with him, I, all these memories of me watching him play on TV just came to me like in a moment. Um, I remember growing up, he was, he was the one who revolutionized the sport in this country just purely because of the way he went on about things. You'll always have someone who will come and change the sport um, so if you talk about basketball, you talk about Jordan, the way he, you know, just changed the whole outlook of the game and unlocked new abilities for people to believe in. Um, and that's exactly what he did. Before he came in, people didn't believe that these things could be done. But then he led the way and made people believe, no, these things can be done. And he made the sport more, more exciting. I remember I used and, to... And that's you now. So that's the funny thing. You realize that now that... Although in terms of skill, in terms of the innovation in sport, a lot of that is happening. But I think my opportunity I've been presented with is to motivate people in another manner, which is improving the culture of, you know, cricket and, and um, the way cricketers should aspire to play for the country. You know, work hard on their fitness, be disciplined, take care of their diet, take it to the absolute peak of professionalism because, um, in order to keep the standard of the, the sport going in the country and globally, everyone needs to take responsibility. So I think I'm contributing in that regard. But what he did from pure skill point of view, just the way he was able to bat was so much more different to anyone else. And that just fascinated me. I was like, man, this is so much more different. And it, it was so um, captivating. You just couldn't take your eyes off when he was batting. And I used to get, and I used to go to these shops and get my packet of chips and, and my nibbles and just sit in front of the TV to watch him bat. And it was just pure joy. How true is it that you told your teachers back then that you were going to be the next Sachin Tendulkar? <laughs> well, I, um, you know, a few people will always question you, you know, you're, you're practicing, you're playing, but what is actually your goal? So I used to tell them I want to be like Sachin. I, I, I'm going to one day play for my country and, you know, become this cricketer. And they all used to find it like, all fun and nice back then but even I didn't realize I was talking with absolute seriousness but one thing I remember was when I used to watch everyone like Indian team play so there's so in cricket either you bat first or there's a score on the board and then you bat second and you try to achieve that so it's the basic sort of nature of the sport so whenever the Indian team was batting second and they had to score more than what the opposition had already scored which means they're chasing chasing yes um, right, you know the terms. So, and when they faltered, I promise you, I used to go to sleep thinking, if I was in the Indian shirt, I used to dream of it. If I was wearing that shirt and I was in that situation, I could have done it. And it's happened so many times in my career till now that I've been involved in a chase and I've finished the game off 
and I don't know whether it was that conviction that formed in my head when I was that young that when I'm in that situation now everything just takes over so that's the power of mind so the first time you see him in the dressing room he's in the corner you're sitting and staring at him for like 15 minutes uh, set the scene and what you remember so we entered the change room uh, and everyone's busy organizing their stuff and I, I'm not bothered about my stuff I just let my bags be the way they were and I was just looking at him he's, he's in the corner and you know I'm just observing whatever he's doing I mean think about it he's I've, I've looked up to this guy for my right. whole life and then right now he's in front of me in the Indian team change room and I'm like I couldn't I couldn't sort of process that moment and then I'm looking at him organizing his stuff he's like proper like precise about how his stuff is going to be like how his bags are placed how his gloves pads bats everything is placed and he's going on about his work and then he looked up and you know uh, glanced at me and he gave me a smile because I just entered the team and he wanted to make me feel comfortable and I felt so embarrassed that I'd been looking at him so I just looked away and you know that sort of initial hesitation and but he was very welcoming and very warm and that's that's one thing that I really admire about him. What do you think you learned from him? I learned um, humility, I learned absolute commitment to the sport and just after playing for 25 years for your country still having the commitment to you know put the effort that he put when he was on the field is something which I think is a huge huge learning for anyone um, not just in sport but I think across anything in life. 2013 uh, West Indies Sachin's farewell test uh, take me through what you recall and why you felt like you wanted to give him your dad's thread well, it was obviously, I mean, we knew that this is his farewell series. But till the time we got to Mumbai, um, last test, last game of the series, last day of that game is the time that it hit everyone. Sachin Tendulkar is not going to play for India ever again. Imagine for 25 years, there's one name that's been constant in the Indian cricket team. And now he's not going to be there. We felt like... You know how you how a child feels like when they're scared or they're by themselves at night. You know, walking home and you feel that sort of that hollow and that you know emptiness around you. We f all of us felt like that because there was no one in the team that didn't look up to him. All those people in the team were all young people, and we all have looked up to him. So that was a very emotional thing for us to process. But his emotion obviously uh, was of of a different level at that stage, in front of his people. Um, you know, going out like that, the most, the most amazing farewell I've ever seen. Um, and then I remember um, in the change room, I just felt like, you know, just to pay respect. I mean, I thought there's nothing I could ever give him, but to make him understand what impact he's had on me um, and how he's inspired me, the most special thing I have is a thread um, you know, we usually wear threads around our wrist. In India, a lot of people do. So my father gave one to me, uh, which he used to have. So uh, just to keep with me. So I used to keep that with me in my bag. And then I thought, this is the most valuable thing I have. So it's like my father gave this to me and I think I couldn't give you anything more valuable and I just want you to know how much you've inspired me and what you mean to all of us and this is my little gift to you. What sticks out to you from that moment, giving it to him and his reaction? His reaction was of, I think he understood what 
he's done for the young cricketers growing up in this country and i think it was a pure, like if you if you told if someone came up to me tomorrow and said that i've impacted their life in in a certain manner i would obviously get very emotional because i know where i come from and obviously he knows his whole life story and his journey you could never imagine as a child that one day someone's going to come and tell you you've impacted my life in such a massive way and i don't think there's anything bigger than than having a positive impact on another human being um apart from all your achievement apart from what you do in terms of numbers and all that stuff when someone comes and says you know i i really appreciate the effort you put in my life and you helped me at some stage and i'm really grateful for that i've never felt gratitude more stronger than that anushka uh what people in the states would not know is that you guys are the celebrity it couple here <laughs> and what what's the nickname they have for you virushka virushka so um, they they combined virat and anushka they made it virushka uh how did you guys meet and how did you go about asking her out the first time <laughs> so we met at um a commercial shoot for a shampoo and um i remember my manager's um bunty he he told me so you have this brand coming up and it was it was a it was a known brand called clear um clear shampoo and i was like great sounds good this sounds exciting and i was like who is it with and then he's like it's with anushka sharma i was like are you kidding me <laughs> you you got to be joking uh he said no i'm serious i was like how the hell am i going to be in a frame with a professional actor i'm going to look like a fool i have no idea how to do this and then he's like you'll be fine don't worry it's a, it's a nice script it's all fun and games and i was like okay fine and then the first time i met her i cracked a joke immediately you know with her and then were you nervous i was very nervous and that's why i cracked a joke because i didn't know what to do and um you know i was i was standing on set and i was being all nervous and and jittery and then she came in and i was like um yeah i just cracked a joke in front of her and then you yeah. remember what you said yeah i remember what i said um i i was actually i thought i was being funny but i just said said something which wasn't probably the right thing to say because i she she's she's tall as well and she was wearing and she was being told that i'm not that tall I'm not like six feet plus or something like that, and you must not wear like massive heels or anything. So she walked in with this much um, height of heels, and and I saw her, and she was looking taller than me, and I was like, "Didn't you get a higher pair of heels than this?" And she was like, "Excuse me," I was like, "No, I'm just joking." So my joke actually became, you know, quite a, a weird moment for myself. I was I behaved like such a fool, to be honest. And she was so confident because, <laughs> you know, she's she's on set regularly, and I was just like. how the how the hell am i going to go through this but yeah uh it was a shoot that went across 3 days um we shot at different times and then slowly she realized because she's also from a very similar background as me um you also middle class families um made it in their respective careers um worked hard got to a certain stage so actually in hindsight when we look at our lives they were going at the same pace but in totally different worlds the timelines of my debut august 2008 the timeline of her uh, starting her first film shooting was 2008 august same year we you know came into the scene 
but we didn't know each other till 2013 we met and then our life has been so similar but in totally different worlds and then we got along so well because we were talking real things and you know we were talking things that a lot of people don't connect with um only if you've seen that life you will understand what we are talking about so the connect was there immediately and then we became good friends and then yeah things went on from there wait so how did you ask her out the first time um it was quite like very traditional you know we would go out for meals and um yeah we just spend time with each other and then eventually i mean you, you didn't really have to ask um out i guess because both of us knew that we like spending time with each other and then yeah things i i don't even actually remember any time when we thought of okay this is the transition that's happening it was so organic and natural things just kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger and then we knew that we just wanted to be with each other what do you think you each have learned from one another well that's the the one thing that people don't register and i don't think they they register till date is that when you when you are with someone who's been at the same level as you in terms of being in the public eye understanding the pressures of situations they understand you so well and you can literally speak to them about whatever's going on in your mind because they know exactly what you're saying and similar for her as well so the fact that we understood each other's situations the pressures um the things that we were dealing with it just i mean we we absolutely love spending time with each other and we just had such a strong connect and as as gagan mentioned whoever meets us they immediately tell us you know we can feel your connection it's not even like we are wanting to present something in front of people but it's just organic it's just natural we're like we literally like you know each other's best friend and we love hanging out with each other and the the comfort of being able to share anything with your partner i think is the most amazing thing and we've both learned um different things from each other i learned a lot of you know things of acceptance things of working on myself things of um you know just looking at the the world in a different manner uh, not being closed as a person and she's learned a lot from my life as well just you know in terms of motivating yourself working hard on things and we've just kept learning off each other all the time and you only had 42 people at the wedding yeah, so yeah wedding was, small, was very private right? yes so this was the announce the announcement and you know we announced everything and everyone knew and there was like a frenzy and prop security and people had to get in with their cards and stuff like that otherwise you can't enter so proper top level stuff and then we came to bombay to do another celebration for her um industry friends my cricketer friends and then two celebrations so across two celebrations after they ended the next day our family said we're so glad you did it in italy <laughs> because they had I, and we said imagine if the main thing happened in india it would have been madness they could not handle two celebration parties and then that's when they realized okay what they did was the right thing uh, so you're on your honeymoon in finland tell about going to the coffee shop <laughs> I can't believe this. I mean, um we go to Finland. Um we were hoping to see the northern lights, but uh we just could not because it was snowing for all 3 days and um yeah, just but we were just fascinated and just taken aback by the whole place. It was pure like white and snow all over and so clean like there was literally no pollution. There was so you know, so few people around and then we were like, wow, this place is stunning. um you know beautiful lodge then we went to a coffee shop one day in the city center I was like feel like having a coffee it's so cold 
you know, coffee would be fun. So we enter the place and I'm like, okay, this is one place in the world where we haven't seen anyone from India yet. And this is amazing. We're not getting, you know, uh, noticed by anyone and this is pure freedom. And suddenly I look around and I look, you know, in the corner of the coffee shop, there's a, there's a guy, uh, there's a sick guy with a turban. And I just looked away and then, you know, I just got my coffee. I was trying to hide from him. And I took my coffee, we went and sat on the table and I told Anushka, you know, I saw this guy. And she's like, no way, all the way in Finland. I was like, yeah. And then that guy noticed us and he came to the table. And then he said, um, so good to see you guys. My last name is also Kohli. And I was like, what are the chances of seeing one Indian guy all the way in Finland and his last name is the same as mine? And I was like, man, when are we ever going to go to a place where we don't get noticed at all? But yeah, that was funny all the way in Finland where we didn't expect anyone to be there. We saw one. Explain how a tweet you sent out in defense of your wife ends up being the most retweeted tweet for the entire year in the country of India. Well, it was um, so ever since... Um, we played the World Cup in 2015 and, you know, we played a semi-final then as well and I got out. I did not score many runs and my wife was there watching the game and for some reason, people in our country love to blame women. And apparently the reason why we lost was because she was sitting in the stadium and she brought bad luck. It can get to that stage. A person who has no involvement in the game, who's just watching, supporting her husband and the country, suddenly has the most adverse effect on a game and it started from there you know she was regularly being targeted and trolled and being pulled down whenever i didn't do well and we sensed a lot of insecurity because of her presence around the whole system and then it got to a stage where again you know some incident happened and people started trolling her and um, you know, all those kind of things happened and then we spoke and she was quite hurt by it and I thought, well, you know, it, this has to stop at a, at, at a certain stage and then I put out that tweet and then it got retweeted. But the surprising thing was that it resumed again. I mean... I, really? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was more like, oh, something uh, drastic has happened where this guy stood up for something. It's so good, you know, something good happens. Oh, we believe in it for four or five days. And then the next opportunity, they do the same to her again. So, I mean, we, we've actually been quite amazed and quite surprised to see so many people finding such pleasure out of pulling someone else down. We never do that to anyone. We've never done that to anyone. We can't even register that. And I think that's the negative side of social media that people find it difficult to uh, process because so many people are just being happy at the expense of someone else, which is so wrong. Um, fame. Um, how does your fame in India impact your ability to lead a normal life? Um, I don't think that um, I'm even expecting to lead a normal life in India anymore. But the thing is that your priorities change over a period of time. Um, so ba basically, you can't really go out and do normal things anymore. You can't really say, okay, I'm going to just get into my car, drive to the shop, to a grocery store and just pick up some stuff and come back or you know what would happen if you did that i'd probably not come back home or um, something like that i would not be allowed to leave and 
it's just that um, I don't blame people for coming towards someone, but I think everyone should understand a sense of knowing that there is a limit to everything. Um, which unfortunately, when you have a lot of people, you know, as I said, it's not their fault. They feel like I want to do my picture and then get done with it. But if that is being said by 200 people around you, then you have to wait for 200 to finish, and it's never ending. So it's very difficult for um, the person involved to actually draw the line. And then invariably, what you do, you you stop going to places which can potentially create that environment. And as I said, we don't have any aspirations to lead a normal life, but you have to um, sort of confine your life in a way and then find joy in other things. But if you're on the weekend and you decide, you know, I, I want to go downstairs and my apartment complex and go walk to the nearby store. I mean, that, that is an impossibility yeah. for you. Absolute impossibility. In India, no chance. All we can do is, so we live in an apartment uh, building now, which has a little recreational area. It's a little small um, park and a pool area and a gym. So all you can do is just go down, sit there, have a cup of coffee if you want. But going out on the streets is absolute no-no. Explain what royal jail is. <laughs> we, um, um, so we speak about this a lot on tour. Um, so when we are playing games in India, um, a royal jail is just being in a hotel and not being able to you know, go out at all. Uh, just being confined to the area, okay, there are services, there's everything, but you go to the ground, you come back, you're literally not stepping out of the hotel at all. Everything's taken care of, but you just can't go out. So that's what we funnily call royal jail because you are living a good life, um, you are getting all the facilities, but you just don't have the option of stepping out. So, yeah, I mean, as I said, it is what it is, and you have to accept that situation. What do you love about the anonymity of overseas cricket tours? Well, I, I love um, just being able to go out for walks, just going to a cafe, as you said, just walking to a cafe and just sit there without being noticed. And I actually, you know, at times there are people who, so if I'm, if I'm getting a haircut in a place and those people have no idea who I am and I'm just so happy just waiting there with everyone, just waiting for my chance to get a cut. And someone who recognizes me will come in and say, to the owners, do you know who he is? And I shot, they don't need to know, please don't announce it to them. And I'm, I'm like, please don't tell everyone who I am. I'm loving this. You know, I'm loving no, people not knowing who I am. And I don't like people announcing to everyone who I am, even if they don't know me. Because it just, they just start looking at you in a different way then, rather than just treating you like a normal person. And you crave being treated like a normal person because at the end of the day, as a human being, that's what gives you pure joy. You know, just being able to walk out and just being able to be at the same level with everyone, just talk to people for the pure organic um, you know, process of just talking to a human being, not saying, this guy is important, so I'm going to speak to him. I love having random conversations with people. If they don't know me and they start talking about something, that's the most beautiful thing because you're connecting at a level which has no judgment, um, no assumptions, and because you're judged and assumed and you know, presumed all the time, that to me is the most amazing thing to experience. And when you're on tour in Australia or South Africa, explain why you'll try and avoid making any plans. Well, because um, A, you don't need to. Um, you don't need to plan anything in particular. Um, and it's just the freedom of just having to 
just being able to go out there and you know not having to think of okay i'm i'm going to reach at this place at this time so you need to have security people ready for me and stuff it's just so random and spontaneous and that's just to feel that freedom of i can just pick up my headphones just go out for a walk all by myself or just go out with my teammates just chill have a coffee have a nice meal go around the shops i mean i've actually roamed uh, around the mall in south africa all by myself for about 2 hours and i know this sounds like he's talking about something so strange anyone can do it but for me to be able to do it all by myself was a revelation i was like i put my music on and i was just walking by myself going from shop to shop yes people recognize me but there was one time i felt like i had no fear of you know people coming towards me or i'm going to be noticed or something like that and i've never felt so light in my life um all right so the foundation um how did you go about deciding the direction you wanted to head with it so this started in uh, 2012 is when the conversation started um we formed the foundation and then the announcement happened with one of those football games where we get um a a team of the bollywood actors who play together in a side and they practice together against cricketers so for people in india that's like the most fascinating thing to see actors and cricketers in the same field together and just having fun and being friendly and you know like you have those exhibition games where everyone plays sure and that brings in a lot of attention so we announced it like that and then in time we started raising funds and we got to a stage where we thought of doing a athlete development program where we thought if if we want to contribute in a larger way to the sporting community it has to be um spread across all sports so then we started we built a a, a jury of people who select different athletes of a young group a young age group uh, from all kind of sports monitor their progress see who are the potential people who can actually go up to the national level and then compete at a global level and hopefully you know achieve a lot more for the country and it just boosts the whole sporting culture so we started to pick those people out and take care of their whole process from their fitness from their requirements to literally like sponsoring them to help them in their journeys and it's been an amazing thing to be part of when you see these guys um, you know succeeding and you follow their progress it's you feel so i wouldn't say proud but you feel so happy to see that you are able to contribute as i said to someone's journey when you understand the challenges that can occur when you were growing up and you, you didn't have that much support around you to actually reach your potential but now if you see potential in someone to take them to that level and being able to help in that regard i think is for me is the most fortunate thing as a sportsman i i believe you're providing for 17 athletes um right now in what ways do you support them any requirement they have uh, from travel to you know sponsoring their equipment to fitness to you know getting them in touch with the right people for their fitness routines and regimes and all that sort of stuff to getting them to speak to the coaches that they require the kind of training that they need to do anything basically that is required in their journey to get to the stage that they want to get so that whole process has been taken care of and we are also exposing them um to understanding the commercial side of things as well to be able to communicate properly to be able to you know speak with people in a manner to be able to build your own brand in the process as well so i think all those kind of things because i never had education of how to build my brand or 
what should my approach be in life, you know, how do I need to model myself or mold myself in a manner. But I think those social skills and the skills of, of understanding who you are as a person, as a sports person, and what potential you have commercially, as well as in your skill is very, very important. Cricketers receive a lot more attention in India than an Olympian would receive. Um, what would be your ultimate goal for how your support pays off? For me, it's, it's such an unfortunate thing to see because someone who you know, takes the name of the country to that level on a global scale in the Olympics, they don't get treated in the right manner. Um, and I think the concerned bodies should be providing a lot more for them than they do already. And it's not good to see someone just going down in life after they compete and they have no idea, no vision, no help from any other place. So my ultimate goal in life, and that is our, our big plan in the pipeline in future as well, to be able to create a space, an environment, see more like a, a campus, a sports campus where I didn't have any idea of the rules of any other sport when I was growing up. I learned because I was traveling so much. I learned because I had exposure. The people who do not have exposure, they do not understand other sports. So to become a total sporting nation and the culture to become even more stronger than it is right now, like you want to be able to go to every sport. You want to be able to watch a football game in the same vicinity and go watch a tennis match or a badminton match or, you know, you need to have keen interest in all kinds of things. So if my vision is to have a campus where all athletes can learn about each other's sport and then have that information spread out to their communities and eventually to the public and then everyone says, we want to watch every sport and not just one sport. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to my chat with Virat Kohli. For more of my interview with Virat, plus driving with him through the streets of Mumbai, and my first cricket lesson, go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Graham Bensinger, and you can visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.